Bauer. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Just give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction, give you a little advice best we can get you going maybe, <laughs> maybe get you stopped that'd be either way <laughs> <laughs> she ever was your ones on your mind as every week we have a general topic sure. that we kind of try to stay to just so we don't ramble around and amble all off into a oblivion a void yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course you're never limited to that topic not just at all anything you might have on your mind and i thought today we'd talk just a little bit about the way vehicles are built and why they are built that way mm-hmm. and Great topic. how you can get into problems when you start modifying things yeah, and that seems to be a big issue nowadays where it wasn't back in the day. Well, from every standpoint, vehicles are so, so, so very well engineered now. Right. And so finely engineered. They are engineered down to a absolute minimum as far as costs to the manufacturers and what have you. And every part is integrated as opposed to, say, a... 65 chevy impala mm-hmm. where if you wanted to go in and change the thermostat i'm gonna put a 160 degree thermostat wasn't really that big of a deal right it maybe came with a 185 but you're gonna change to 160 you didn't know, notice much of a difference that maybe it ran a little bit cooler run a little cooler and in those days everybody thought well cooler is better right there would be let's say one of common trends among people is that if they have a problem with a car they were looking for a heavier duty solution mm-hmm so, for instance, you had a car that maybe was overheating. Well, the first thing they do is go put a bigger fan on it or put right. an electric pusher fan on it. And what that does, it really doesn't make any sense because you think they don't build one car. They build thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of any given model. None of the rest of these cars are overheating. Well, and if they did, this might have been a solution. Maybe. You know, if the vast majority of them had a problem, right. an under, this may be an engineering error. Right. We see that quite often. Yeah, engineering, well, that's, it doesn't quite work out in the real world. Right. But that's generally not going to be the case. And rather than addressing what is wrong with this car. Right. Why is this particular car doing this particular problem? Right. And particularly, you got a car that, let's say you got 100,000 miles on. Now it starts to overheat. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. It went 100,000 miles and never overheated. Now it is. Something is wrong. Something, Something has changed. changed. The point is, you don't just go in and put a bigger fan on it. You don't just go in and put a lower thermostat in it. You're, right. You are creating a problem that's not going to cover up the original problem. It's just going to create a secondary issue. Exactly. A set of issues in, in most cases. We see this a lot where somebody, like I said, will go in and try to put an auxiliary fan on the car, thinking, well, this will make it cool now. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember that electrical system is sized precisely right. for down, down the load the, that it had. Down, down to the bare minimum. Down to the amperage. And you go in and you put this fan on here that now draws an extra 25 amps. Well, there's just not an extra 25 amps there. Exactly. So now you start stressing the electrical system, possibly burn up an alternator, possibly cause dead batteries. Who knows what all. Burn up the wiring. On and on and on and on it goes. To try to address a problem without really addressing the problem. Okay. You know, (laughs) whatever causes this car to overheat now is still wrong. Sure. It's still going to overheat. Yeah, it went 100,000 miles without overheating, and now all of a sudden, so something is wrong. You don't just go in and do something different. To cover it up. To modify it or try to cover it up. And I know way, way back when cars weren't engineered quite like they are now, that was maybe... It probably was a viable solution. might not even be viable. It was just something you could do that would maybe get you by. 
And now that is going to create problems in almost every single incident and create big problems. Now, what happens is the car continues to overheat. And so finally you give up, you bring it to the shop. Well, the first thing they got to do is go and rip all the stuff out that you put in there and put everything back to the way way it's supposed to be before they even start to diagnose the original problem. Exactly. And not only that, but if you allow this problem to go on overheating and next thing you know, you warp some head, blown a head gasket. So you've taken an issue that was relatively minor to start with, and you've turned it into a major, major, major issue. Not to mention the money you spent. Well, the money you wasted on stuff that's not going to work. I know any time we get a car in with any kind of a strange problem, the first thing, the first thing we do is look see the, what has been changed on this car. Any look for the modifications. Of, any kind of a modification, any kind of a aftermarket add-on right. type of thing. And about 80% of the time, that's where we're going to find the problem. You can trace it back to that. Mm -hmm. We had a fella come in, had an F-150, Ford F-150, and the trash control light was on, the cruise control didn't work, ABS light was on, and maybe some others. I don't recall what all it was. But he took it somewhere, and he checked the code, and the code was brake light switch circuit. circuit. Mm -hmm. Well, like most people, he took that to mean, well, the, the, switch, the switch, switch must be, be bad. bad. So he changed the brake light switch. Same problem. Pops right back in. Hmm. So he says, okay, maybe it's the connector to the brake light switch. So he cuts it out, puts another connector in there, and unfortunately, he didn't crump fit it in or he didn't solder it in. He just twisted the wires together. Well, now he's created a secondary sure. problem, and light's still on. Well, by the time he gets it to us, the first thing we do, we check this connection that he's got which does have high amperage so we go in repair the connector properly light still on mm-hmm. traced it down and what it was he had changed the tail lights in the vehicle and put some aftermarket tail lights in right now this circuit has a system in there that reads resistance in that circuit that's how it knows if you have a burnout tail light or if there's a problem in the system well it was not getting the proper amount of feedback from these aftermarket tail lights so that was where the circuit problem. That's why was. light was coming That's on. That's why light was coming on. And it didn't occur right away. Apparently, the aftermarket lights put in maybe were like right on the edge mm-hmm. where they could get by. But as soon as they wore in or, or whatever, turned on, turned off enough times, now they went off. Right, the resistance spec. maybe so changed in them some. He had put these in about six months to a year prior. Light did not come on. Well, now it was coming on. So he said, well, I can't put those be that. In. Yeah, it can't yeah. be that. Okay, well, that's what I think it is. So, <laughs> you know, go change some more stuff and then come back and we'll change those and fix it. Sure. But we ended up, unfortunately, he had thrown away the original tail uh-huh. light. So we had to get two tail light assemblies. All the harness plugs. All those light, hook all that in. Had to pull this thing back. Plus a not small amount of diagnostic time to find this exactly. problem because he had created other issues in the thing. First thing, he had put an aftermarket brake light switch in it. So, okay, is this switch going to be a good switch? So now I had to pull all that out, ohm it out, check it out, and as it worked out, it was okay. Mm-hmm. So we were able to put that back in, but it still ate up time. We had to verify this because right. we got a brake light circuit code. We got an aftermarket brake light switch. First thing we have to do is verify, is the switch good? And time is money. Time is money. It's cost you money. Then we had to go back, repair the connector and all. Then after all of that was put back the way it went. Had to diagnose the original problem. The original problem. And like I said, it was not an easy fix. He also had put an aftermarket trailer hookup in, mm-hmm. which could also have sure. caused the problem. So we had to go back and verify all of that. 
So anything that you've added to the system that doesn't go there should be the first place you check for a problem. Yeah, you just have a higher likelihood. Now, let's say you've got a car with a pattern failure of brake light switches. For instance, Chevy pickup trucks, not the current series, but the ones just before this series, had a problem with brake light switches. They did. They they would go out quite frequently. Most everyone that came in, the switch was bad. So if that one came in with that problem, I would probably go ahead and put a switch in it right off the bat just because it's cheaper. Switch was like 15 bucks. What expensive. And it's a pattern failure. It happens on the majority of them. And it has a a highly likelihood of fixing it. Right. It has a high likelihood of fixing it. It doesn't cost a whole lot. I'm putting an OEM switch, the the updated switch, back in there. So it's not going to create another problem. Right. And it's one of those things that if it's not bad now, it's probably going to go bad anyway. So it would sure. really make some sense in that case to do that because it's cheaper than the time we're going to spend to verify everything else. Now, if we do that and the light's still on, we've only got maybe 10 minutes worth of time and $15, and $15 switch in there. That's not a whole lot. No. So now we can go in and start doing more involved diagnostics. But i got to say, on Ford trucks, we really had not changed a lot of brake light switches. No, we haven't. On the Ford truck body control module, because the brake lights... Well, it's that fuse. Well, the fuse panel. Well, that's the body control module. The fuse panel is actually in the body control module. And what happens is when you press the brake pedal, it sends a signal to the body module. Right. The body module goes through the fuse panel and sends a signal to the taillight assemblies to burn. Right. It's not a... It uses the body control module instead of just a straight connection. And we've seen a lot of those trucks come in. on that, on that that fuse panel. And unfortunately, in their infinite wisdom, they put a number of different designs in there. So you've almost got to get the original panel and get the number off of it exactly. to get the correct exactly. one. Because even the VIN number, in many cases, won't tell you which one it is. And if you put the wrong one in, you still you got, got problems. problems. We had another fella coming in, and I, his battery kept going dead. And I think the ABS light might have been on. Traced it down to the fuse panel. Mm-hmm. And... It had the wrong fuse panel in there because someone had told him that might be it. So he went to a salvage yard, got and a got fuse panel, put it in. So now, again, the first thing you have to do is figure out what panel went in here. Right. And a lot of times that is only uh, known by taking the old one out and getting right. the reference number off the back Fortunately, of it. he kept his old fuse panel, so we were able to get the number off of that, order the proper panel, put it in, and that did fix the problem. Mm-hmm. But... It's one of those things where he put a used panel in there, but it was the wrong one. So, again, sure, everything know, everything worked. It just it right. caused another problem. Hey, exactly. take our first quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more in the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to motor west. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Oh. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks stand off Louisiana 1, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight-up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right. Saving you money in the long run. So, what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. 
like this. Join us all about our army host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And we're going to the lines with Eric. Good morning, Eric. Hey, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for the great radio show. Uh, it's kind of a highlight every week listening to you. Well, thank, thank you. you. I've got an 86 Toyota pickup truck. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a hunting truck. Okay. You know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of money okay. on it. But, but I've got an air conditioning question. A couple years ago, the high-pressure line blew out, mm-hmm. and I was going to go ahead and replace the high and low, put a new filter on it, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to economically get it? charge back up again and and go ahead and run it on 134a or a modern refrigerant how long has it been sitting open not working eric three years wow Ooh, man i gotta tell you eric the likelihood of continuing problems with a system that's been sitting idle for three years is very 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 high i mean i don't want to throw sand on your parade but what happens when it's not rotating and all that's how it lubricates the the oil is in the refrigerant that flows around refrigerant's gone so the oil's just sitting in the bottom of the evaporator now it's not circulating so now your compressor is going if it's not locked up it's going to be gummed up inside i mean i would say the odds of this thing working out for you are going to be real 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 slim i mean you can go ahead and put a couple of hoses on it put a filter dryer on it vacuum it out charge it hope for the best I can tell you when you convert from 12 to 134A, you're going to lose about 10 to 15% of your cooling just because the system's not designed to work with 134A. It's designed to work with 12. The condenser's different. The compressor's different. And what they did, 134A is inherently a less efficient refrigerant than 12 was. So when they went to 134, they went to a bigger system. They went from like a three-ton to a three-and-a-half-ton unit. So they work okay. But when you convert them, they hardly ever work out. Now, as you well know, the R12 is very expensive just because they've added a tax to it. I think it's like a $30 per can tax on it. That's the reason. It, it doesn't really cost $31 right. a, pa- uh, a can. It costs thirty. Mm-hmm. It costs a dollar a can like it always did, just $30 tax on it. <laughs> so that's how our politicians go right. save us, you know. But mm-hmm. I got to say, I mean, if you want to try it, you can. I would say the odds of getting any kind of decent results are probably pretty poor. I mean, I think you, you're more or less wasting money. You probably are not going to find decent hoses unless you go back with OEM hoses, and those are going to be expensive. If you can find if them. If you can 86. even find them, yeah. Right. I mean, it just depends. I mean, if it's a hunting truck, generally it's going to be cooler in hunting season, so it may not be that big a deal. I mean, if you, if you just want to try it, you can. You might try. If I were going to try that, what I would do is flush the system out very, very thoroughly, try to get all of the oil out of it that I possibly could, replace the oil in it because that oil is going to be full of moisture just from sitting up mm-hmm. you'll put new oil in it and go ahead and do the conversion and see what happens but i would say the odds are pretty slim of this really working out well for you got you well definitely thank you for the advice i appreciate it okay man <laughs> thanks bye bye all right two nine one sixty nine zero one. there you go <laughs> i tell you been, happens, been, happens when you stay away too long. I've been on seven days. Yeah, I can't remember all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. And it is. You know what happens with air conditioning? It's a sealed system, and they are nearly sterile mm-hmm. inside. They have they to be to work right. And when a system goes down, if you elect not to fix it, not to address it, you got to remember you're probably inviting a lot of things because – it's not going to just stay empty. Moisture is going to leak into it. It's going to start sure. attacking everything in this system. It's going to start building corrosion. It's going to start to parts can start to stick and sludge up because mm-hmm. they're not rotating. They're not being lubricated. So if you decide later that you, so do, you do want, want to, to fix back. this, right. it's 
probably going to be a much bigger deal than it, it would have been, been had you went ahead and fixed it. And I do understand that you don't always have the money to get it fixed right away. Right. Might not even be a bad idea if it quits. Or let's say the refrigerant leaks out and it's multiple problems. At very least, get the leak fixed, vacuum it out, and charge it, even if you're not going to use it. At least that way, it's protected. It's got right, refrigerant it's got a charge in, it. in it. It's got a charge in it, which is going to keep the moisture from getting in as bad. So that might be a better solution, solution yeah, definitely. than to just let it sit idle. Particularly if it's yeah empty, like if it's got blown line or something, then all the trash, the humidity, everything's going to get into the system. It's going to really wreak havoc on it. And when you do decide to get it back, Right, you don't know where you're going to be. Probably, probably going to be a whole lot more than just the, the original problem. So, let's see. We're going back to our phone line. This is Lewis. What can I do for you? Hi. How Hello. you doing? Dang great. Hello. Um, I have a 2016 Kia Optima. Could you tell me why the engine light keeps staying on? I didn't have it serviced. I had the bag gasket cover replaced. I had, I forgot the name of the other part there. Mm-hmm. Well, could, you, could you tell me what caused the uh, engine light to stay okay. on? There's not one thing that could cause that. There's 2,000 different things that can cause that. Oh. It's only one light. It's one light. And any mm-hmm. problem anywhere in the computer management system is going to set that same light. Now, it could be any one of 2,000 different problems. Now, what you have to do, when the light comes on, you say you had some work done. That's fine, but you got to remember this light is signaling a malfunction in the computer management system. So the valve cover uh-huh. gasket is leaking. That's not going to fix that light. It's going to fix that problem, but it's not going to fix this light. Things like a dead battery, oh, geez, you know, all the things are not going to set this light. It's not telling you that it's low on oil. It's not telling you that it needs maintenance. It's telling you there's a problem in the computer management system somewhere. Uh-huh. Now, unfortunately, that system particularly on 2016, maintains the entire car. When that light comes on, there will be a code set in the memory, okay? Uh And even if you turn the key off, the code will still be set. Even if the light goes off, it will still be in there. Uh So Uh you start out by going in, retrieving the code. Now, very important to remember, that code does not tell you what's wrong. It just tells you what area of the car is causing the problem. For instance, let's say it's got a PO440. Well, that would mean the catalytic converter is below efficiency. Well, it doesn't mean the converter is bad. It could be the oxygen sensor in front of the converter, the one behind the converter. It could be a wire bad. It could be the converter. It could be a vacuum leak. It could be all kinds of things that are making this part be out of specifications. You know, let's say you get an evaporative emissions code. Well, one thing that can do that is a bad gas cap. But there's probably a hundred other things that can do that. So, what you have to do is is go in, retrieve the code, or have someone retrieve the code, and then you got to do some detective work to find out what thing or things are causing this light to come on. Now, if it's been on for, say, a long period of time, it's also possible they had one problem that was resolved and another problem occurred. So it's not like just a light that means one thing, uh-huh. if you follow what I'm saying. It's it's very, very, very involved system. you just going to have to go in, have someone go in, diagnose the problem, tell you what's wrong, repair the problem, then the light will be off. You know, it's kind of like right. a smoke alarm in your house. The smoke alarm's going off. Why? You know, it could be somebody left a candle burning. It could be the house is on fire. It could be the alarm itself is bad. You know, there's all kinds of things that can make this go off. And let's say you've got a 20-story building with 100 rooms in it, and you've got a main alarm going off. Okay, where's the problem? So it's just saying, hey, there's a problem in this building. We've got to find it. We've got to find it. We've got to go in and investigate and find out where this problem is. But... If, you, if the right person gets a hold of the car, what they're going to do, they're going to start out retrieving the codes, they're going to do some detective work, and then they're going to be able to tell you exactly what it is. You do that, and light will be off. 
you know, lice is telling you there's a problem in there. And, you know, a lot of people kind of get the attitude, well, this light's my enemy. I wish it just can't just disconnect it. No, no, no. This light is your friend. It's trying to tell you there's a problem. It's an early warning system. See, it's trying okay. to tell you there's a problem that's going to cause you a bigger problem if you don't fix it. So it's okay. just a matter of going in properly, diagnosing it, and then correcting the problem. Then the light will be off until something else happens. Then the light's going to come mm-hmm. back on again. It's, it's, it's trying to warn you, hey, there's a problem here. Okay. Thank right. you so much. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, we sure love to have you. And we're going back to the phone lines. Good morning, Earl. Good morning, Lewis. Hey, good morning. morning, Brian. Good morning. Good morning. Good to hear y'all's voice this well, morning. Thank you. Yeah, you too. All right. While we're on the subject of lights. All right. <laughs> can you, let's talk about these cars that in the afternoons that don't have the headlights on. Okay. Most of them are automatically lit after mm-hmm. sundown. Uh-huh. But I repeatedly see these cars on the highway. They're oblivious to the lights not being on. Yeah, I, I've noticed that myself, Earl. And, you know, most cars, most modern cars, do have an auto setting. Right. But you don't have to leave it on there. Right. It also has a manual setting. Manual setting. And I think right. what it do is probably turning it off of there. Right. I know I have that problem a lot with my little Toyota because, as you know, I live in New Orleans. We park in a parking garage. Right. And what happens is you pull in, and they don't instantly come on because of a little delay in there, and the guy who parks the car takes he turns lights to manual and turns them on then when he goes park the car of course lights also he turns them off well i get in the car i'm used to them being on automatic but he right. switched it to off so now i might have to notice that they're not on right. then i gotta flip it back to automatic but and i'm not saying that's in every case what's right. happening but i would think that could be part of it now another part there's a sensor that makes that work generally it's up on the dash somewhere right. Seen those go bad. The quite sensors often. can go bad. People throw stuff up on the I dash and cover them up. up. Yeah, cover them up, and then the lights stay on all the time. So they say, "Well, they turn them off." You know, right? All kinds of things that can do it. But uh, and and if you're old school like you and I and Lewis right. are, right. you've always turned the headlights on and off. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't notice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> well, look, I'm so I'm so lean. I'm, I'm so uh, uh, out of the loop. I wouldn't even know how to turn them off. A manual. I'm awful <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I, but I see it be extremely. Uh, much, much more here in the Baton Rouge area than I do in Biloxi. Yeah. As, as we travel back and forth, I'm thinking, golly, why do I see that here? Sherwood Forest, it'd be a string up three or four in a row. Yeah. Huh. On, on the way home, I said, God, what the heck's going well, on? Well, and, and you know, today's highways are lit a lot better than they used to right. be. Yeah. So, like, in the same situation, if they don't come on automatically, most people don't really realize they're not on. Right. right. That's what I'm thinking, because it's still, it's still bright enough they can see. Exactly. Yeah, they can see just fine, because, like I say, you got real good lighting in, yeah. in most towns and even on right. most interstates right. nowadays, right. so you may just not even be aware that they're that's, off. That's it. Well, you that's hit a dark stretch and not and yeah. realize, wait a minute, the headlights are on. Right. <laughs> well, Everybody's flashing their lights like at you. Okay. They're yeah. not wearing glasses or contacts like us. So. There you right. go. <laughs> <laughs> they got better eyes, maybe. There you go. All right. Well, you guys have a good day. Have a good show today. All right. Thank you. Thank you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We got to take our second quick little break. CJ, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. 
and with ACO's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at ACO Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. And we're going live with CJ. Good morning, CJ. Good morning, fellas. How are you doing this Doing morning? wonderful. Doing great. I have a general question about shock absorbers. Mm-hmm. How right. often should you change your shock absorber well it's going to depend cj a lot on what kind of vehicle you got because some vehicles have had more problems that than others as a general rule nowadays they last almost the life of the vehicle i mean we don't change a lot of shock absorbers like we did years ago in fact we see the majority of them getting changed because of the tire of a bad tire situation yeah you have a bad tire which is causing an issue and they'll change the shock thinking yeah the shock is going to fix a bad tire that or the tire beats the shock up I mean, basically, the general guidelines, if the shock absorber is leaking, and now by what, what I mean big, by leaking, yeah. it's not a little bit of fluid around the top of it. That does not mean it's leaking. That is a normal condition. When it is running completely down the shock absorber and maybe dripping on the ground, that's leaking. So that would be one. Number uh, two, if they, they get bouncy, if they get bouncy, you know, you hit a bump and it bounces several times before stopping. Number three, they can seize up. And that's a big problem with certain cars. I know the K bodies in uh-huh. General GM. Motors have had a lot of trouble with that. Uh, some of your Hondas, was it some, CRV? Yeah, you the jack CRV. the car up, and while it's up, the wheels are hanging down. When you set it down, they're locked up. They just solid, and it's bam, 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 like no shock yeah, at all, like a wagon. And of course, the the last thing would be if they're making noise, they're squeaking or knocking or internally have failed. So there's some kind of a noise involved, or the rubber bushings have failed in each end of them. Right. Beyond that. I gotta say, way over a hundred thousand miles. Sure. Well, I have a Dodge Durango and a Toyota Tacoma, mm-hmm. and both have has over two hundred thousand miles. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do they ride bad or drive bad or bounce? No, or? not really. Not that I, I noticed. Well, I gotta say, man, yeah, I would. I, yeah. I had a Buick Park Avenue with two hundred something thousand when I got rid of it, and it had original shocks all the way around. I never changed them. I had a Toyota Land Cruiser with well over two hundred thousand. I never changed them. I mean, well, unless there's a symptom, I wouldn't just change them because of time or, or miles. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm asking because it seems like I do not have any problems. It's just that you may have said, "Oh, after two hundred thousand, mm-hmm. hey, it's time to change them." Yeah, and and again, that was probably true at one time, but i got to say, the shocks that came, original equipment on either one of those vehicles, are probably better than any shock you're going to buy. I mean, unless you want to go back to the dealer and buy the original equipment part, if it's still available. A lot of the shocks on the market today, and And I I can't mention brand names over there, but there's one that has a huge reputation. It was a really good product. At one time. At one time, and probably 15 yeah. years ago, they got sold out, then they got sold out again, they got sold out again. And strictly and now absolute, by the absolute garbage, man. I mean, it's, it's not even, it's probably not as good as it's worn out when you're taking off. <laughs> so you got to watch. There's a lot of cheap junk on the market, imported stuff that's not as good as what you're taking off. So I would not change them unless I had a symptom of some sort. I mean, you could always bring it to somebody, a Have professional, a let them drive it and see, evaluate it. Because like you said, you do kind of get used to the way they ride, and maybe and you're overlooking something. But a lot of times it comes on slowly. Yeah, you know, something, something you don't notice too much, unless you have one just flat blow out or lock up, mm-hmm. then you notice yeah. a, an exact symptom. Right. What I would do is probably bring it to someone, and you know, we do a general inspection on the vehicle, 
And if you mentioned during the general inspection, look, tell me what you think about those shock absorbers. Well, we'll look for that specifically. But other than having someone trained in what it's supposed to feel like, drive it and give you an unbiased opinion, because it does wear out slowly, and it may be that somewhere is getting overlooked or whatever, you know. But yes. I have seen a lot of them with 200,000 miles, original shocks, and no problems. Yeah. Well, you answered my question, and that, that's why I called to okay. see exactly. Y'all fool with cars every day. Yep, every day. You know, and uh, if anybody would know, you know. <laughs> All righty. Look, y'all have a good day. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thank Enjoy you. your program. Yes, Thank sir. you. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going back to our far lines with Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, gentlemen. I have a Dodge Charger. It's a 2012. Mm-hmm. 125,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting a, um, a thump in the driveline if I take off too hard. You have okay. an idea what that might be? Man, be hard to say, Mark. Uh, they've got so many different things. It, it's only on hard acceleration that you hear it? Only, yeah. If a grandpa it will not do it. And it's not even uh, heard. It's more felt. And it feels like it's rear. Mm-hmm. But that's what it feels like. But it's, you really got to goose it to to duplicate it. But, I mean, it's definitely there. And th- there's several things that it could be. Most common is going to be a broken motor mount. Yeah. I have read about that. Yeah. Uh, the motor mount will break it up. Right. It, when the motor mount breaks, it doesn't just fall apart. It actually cracks in half. The rubber part deteriorates, and the two pieces mm. separate. So if you drive it normally, the motor doesn't torque that hard, and you don't notice the engine lifting as much. But when you really jump down on it, that motor wants to torque over. And when mm-hmm. it does, it takes those two pieces on each side and it slams them against each other because the cushion part is torn, and it'll make a, a thump sound. It's, right. a, it's usually one solid thump, well, yeah, and then it goes now, away. Now, too, what I've also seen, a broken motor mount may not manifest in that area. You may hear it in the back of the car Very because what happens is that as the motor torques up, it's pulling on the exhaust, and the exhaust may be knocking in the back, but it's knocking because the motor mount's broken, and the motor's moving, and the exhaust is hooked to the motor. Sure. So mm. I've heard a noise in the back of the car, and they'll say, oh, it couldn't be a motor mount in the back of the car. No, no, no. That motor is mm. moving, and it's pulling on that exhaust. The exhaust is hitting the frame rail in the back, and sure enough, went back there, big shiny spot on the frame rail, yep. shiny spot on the exhaust. But again, you got to remember, that exhaust been there all this time. It's never been knocking before. So unless yeah. you got a broken mount or something, chances right, are yeah. the motor's moving, and that's the reason the exhaust is hitting. I would yeah. suggest take that to somebody that can look at it for you, somebody that you can take it, put in the vehicle <laughs> yeah. with Okay. Get a, yeah. get a tech, request a tech yeah, to ride, ride with, with you, you mm-hmm. and show them, look, when I do this, this is what happens. This is the noise I'm hearing. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to, and that's why I was hoping to maybe mm-hmm. prime you because it's coming to you. But I, okay. just to, I was going to give a really good description on it, and it's definitely something that is not heard. Like, it's only felt, felt. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, that's uh, certainly, not, certainly not the only not thing that can do it. You know, on, on rear-wheel drive cars, we see, like, the bushings in the rear end in the back. There's four arms that hold that rear end in place, and those bushings will wear out, so that the yep. whole rear end torques and, and knocks. Uh, it's also sitting on an engine cradle. I mean, not an engine cradle, uh, but it's sitting on a suspension cradle that has rubber mounts right. in it that can go bad. But again, that would be on rear-wheel drive. On a, on a front-wheel drive, you wouldn't have those particular things. Gotcha. I mean, even something in the front suspension, like uh, something an engine cradle or something could shift. You know, when, when you're torquing down like that, when you're accelerating. It, the, you're stressing everything. Yeah, I mean, the, the yeah. body wants to hold still because it's heavy, and that motor wants to push it. So there's a lot of things moving relative to each other. Anything with any kind of wear or slack in it. And um, it's going to be worse when you're when you accelerate because right. you're just loading it a lot heavier. I know GM had a uh, bulletin out on the pickup trucks. They had a pop in the cross members. Mm-hmm. You had to go in and take the – what they did is they undercoated the, cross me- the frame, and then they put the cross member in over it. Right. When they torqued the bolts down, they didn't tighten down quite right, and when the frame would flex, it would pop. And it would, it would work that 
under, it was coating out of the area, and then once it did, of course, right. there's some slack now. Yeah, and they would so, actually make a popping noise in the in the cross member, so you have to go in and retalk all that. To, first thing we can do is check these uh, service bulletins and see if there's anything in the service bulletins about it. Yeah. If there is, we can we can check that first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as far as those motor mounts, I mean, you think even if it's not that, if it, if they're nine years old, nine years of hard driving, you think they're probably ready regardless? Uh, I wouldn't change I them unless it's an issue. I mean, unless it feels rough at an idle. One thing, if you put it in drive, you'll feel the car kind of shake. That's one symptom. And you put it in neutral, it kind of gets better. That's okay. one symptom of it. Knocking noise on acceleration is another symptom of it. I mean, unless they're giving me a symptom, I'm not real big on just changing things just to change them. Preemptively, yeah. some some of those mounts are easy to get to, and some of them are nightmares. Yeah, some of them are real hard, and some of them are pretty expensive as well. Yeah, I got one more real quick. Uh, sure, go ahead. All, right. Uh, all right, so transmission taking off, it feels like in second there's like this dead zone, pretty often, just no real torque there, and then all of a sudden it just shows up. It feels like almost like a CVT kind of effect. You know what I mean? Does that sound familiar at all? I would kind of doubt that that's a transmission problem. I would think that's more of an engine running issue that's causing a lack of power. Generally, on a transmission, the only thing it can do is engage or slip. It can't change the power. So you're either going to get an RPM going up between shifts or you're going to feel sudden shift or something like that. But you're not going to ever have like a lack of power on shifting. There's nothing in a transmission that can create a lack of power. That's more okay, likely so going to be an intermittent yeah. uh, engine, engine running type yeah. issue that's showing up like a transmission. Okay. Very good. Well, guys, love the show. I'm going to let you run. Appreciate it. Okay, Thank Mark. You. Thanks for calling me. Thank bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. I got to take our third quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more in the Automotive Hour. TJ, I've been looking to tone up, man. You have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bruh. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right here inside. And between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And that's what Al did. Good morning, Al. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have a 94 Cadillac DeVille. Uh-huh. And I get a message on my instrument panel that the ignition has been disconnected to wait three minutes and try it again. It's getting to be a nuisance. Is mm-hmm. any way that can be disconnected, or is it tied to a whole bunch of other stuff? It's tied to a whole bunch yeah. of other stuff. Do you have the little chip in your key? In other words, you, you look at your key, like a little black thing with a silver thing in the middle? And, yes. Okay, that, yeah, All that's right. called pass. I think that was pass two. Pass lock. Yeah, pass pa- Pass one or pass two. Yeah. Yeah, those can actually be bypassed, Al, and it's going to be something in that system is 
flagging a code, but again, fixing the problem might be more expensive. Basically, the way those work, it's got a diode in that key, and it's a pretty simple system. All it does is measures the resistance to that diode so that it knows the key is inserted into the lock before it lets it start. And if anything malfunctions in that system, it doesn't see it. It doesn't see the proper resistance. and But you can go into the switch, clip the two wires going to it, and put the right resistor just soldered across there to where it always sees it. And that is going to generally fix most of it unless like something it, else is going. Yeah, on. if the module goes bad, generally it'll default to starting. It may throw a message, but it'll just keep it'll always start. Does it ever not start when you go to start it? No, if you wait three minutes, it'll go ahead and start. Okay, but if you try to do it in that three minutes, it won't start? Oh no, you start two minutes fifty nine seconds, you gotta start all over. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like the module maybe going out. The module anyway. could be going out and again, I think if you unplug the module on those, it may I default to start. I just have to look remember. at it. It's been a while since so I worked on one. They hadn't used that system in many years, but it was fairly easy to get around relative to the new stuff where you just absolutely cannot get around it. You know, it's, it's nowadays it's built with sine waves and goes to the computers and blah, 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 blah. I mean, you oh, can't, it's, it's you very just, integrated. Yeah. You just can't get around it. It'll, it'll shut the transmission down. It'll shut the engine down. It'll shut and everything down. That's, that's kind of why they got away from it because it was too easy to defeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, I do appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive, I would love to have you. Well, you know, I'd hate to call a 94 classic, but that's an old car. Yeah, it is nowadays. (laughs) Yeah, I man, I can remember those brand new. I know. (laughs) I remember them. Yeah. So I remember when S on the VIN number was a 95, man. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's an S. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. 95 model car. (laughs) That's some high-tech stuff there. But, yeah, it. Your time just kind of slips on by. Oh, man, does it? Yeah, you know, we were talking a little bit about modifications uh-huh. of cars and, and why, particularly on later model cars, it's not generally the wise thing to do. It's a lot smarter to go in and find out what's wrong and fix that. And that's not limited only to electrical systems. Even the body of the car mm-hmm. is assembled in a specific way. I know we run across this a lot because we do collision repair to frames and stuff. And if this original frame member were spot welded in with two spot welds exactly. an inch apart, that does not mean you can go in there and run a bead across it. Well, it doesn't also, you have to go to the service data and find out if that is even an applicable place to right. repair at. You may have to go further back down the rail to the correct place and change the entire piece. It's not just, hey, it's bent from here forward. Let's cut this off and put something else back on. Right. It's gotten very technical lately about. Well, with the type of materials they're using, the high-strength steel and high-strength oil, the crushed zones. If you weld it, you're going to weaken it. Exactly. It has to be welded in an area that's designed for that to be welded. Right. It's over-designed in that area. So even though it's weakened slightly, it's still got more than enough. As long as you put it back the way it came out. The way it came out. Let's go to our phone line with Jimmy. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning, Lewis. Thanks for taking my call. Look, I got a 94 GMC pickup truck, full-size truck. Mm-hmm. I want to clean the engine on it. Okay. What can I do to avoid doing any damage to it or anything? I'd like to pressure wash it if I could. Yeah, I wouldn't do that, Jimmy, because even on a 94, there's a lot of electrical circuits and stuff. You'll yeah, get, you get water into those, and you may have problems for the rest of your life. I know you're not going to want to hear this, but the only safe way to do it would be to get like a brush with some solvent, get in there, and just start cleaning and take some rags and wipe it clean. Because even on a late model car, if you get in that hood and spray it, you're going to probably have every light in the car on, and you're going to have trouble for the rest of your life. But even on a 94, there's a lot of stuff in there that can get wet that really, it's just not designed to be wet. 
you know, your better bet is just to take either towels and put some solvent on and wipe it clean. I know that's very time-consuming. And, and, yeah, that's, and, that's what I was trying to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the only safe yeah. way you can do it, man, because if, if water gets in the wrong spot, you're going you're gonna to be having trouble for the rest of your life. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Okay, All man. right. Thanks, Jimmy. Bye-bye. All right. Back to our phone lines. we got Sid on the line. Good morning, Sid. Morning. Yes, I You had a Ford pickup in your uh, shop this week. I think it's a 2002 you did some work on what uh, kind of problems would a backyard mechanic have with what you did? Mm, I'm not. I'm not following you, Sid. What What are you talking about? Well, this Ford pickup uh-huh. you had in your shop, and you did uh, some work on it. Okay. What kind of problems would a backyard mechanic have with the kind of work that you did? I'm not familiar with the vehicle. I don't remember the car. I wasn't there last week. But could it have been done by somebody else other than a shop? Is that what you're asking? All right. Uh, with that particular truck, uh-huh. I remember at one time you said spark plugs would break off or they were hard to reach. or Yeah, like if, that. It, if it's a 5.43 valve, the plugs could break off in it. That was from, I think, 2009 back. I think they fixed that somewhere up in that area. Right. I mean, you just would need to know what kind of work was going to be done and what kind of things you uh Probably call Elizabeth and go over the list. Have her pull the invoice up. She could go over everything, and she could tell you any things that you might be able to do yourself or that would not be something that she would advise. There are certain things, and again, it depends on the mechanic. I mean, some a lot of people call themselves backyard mechanic, but, I mean, they could probably be working in a dealership somewhere. Other people call themselves backyard mechanic, and, I mean, they really don't know anything, you know, than what they've seen on the Internet or something. So, you know, everything's relative. On that particular vehicle, I would call Elizabeth Mundy and just have her pull the invoice and see what things were recommended, and then she could tell you, you know, what things you could do yourself. Very good. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901. I think we got time made for one more call. Yeah, we'll squeeze it we out. We got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. A wonderful show you guys have here. Thank, Thank you. you. Quick question. I've got a 2017 Nissan Frontier mm-hmm. Desert Runner, two-wheel drive, a few months back, it was rendered a T-bone at a red light where mm-hmm. somebody ran the light and hit the right rear wheel dead on. It mm-hmm. only has 16,000 miles on it. I, I notice that red lights now, when I'm at a stop and I go to take off, there's a slight lag between the time I hit the accelerator and the time the transmission engages. Uh, could that be... Something related to the right. Well, route. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say no, Mike, but typically not. More likely, okay. that's like a delay or lay delay in throttle response. And one of the most common things for that would be like an airflow meter is a little dirty, and it doesn't see airflow immediately, so it doesn't power up. I mean, there's lots of other things, but that's one of the more common things. I really almost have to examine the vehicle to tell you for sure. And I wouldn't rule out the fact that it was hitting the bag because it could be something that uh, right. a bushing or something with some, some deflection slack in it and yeah. you're getting some movement there. So and it you know, feels the way you're feeling. Yeah. Well, it, it sounded on the more promising side that it's probably not, but it may be. So Yeah, it's possible, but you, know, you just, just have to have somebody take a look at it. All right, sir. I appreciate it. Hi, Mike. A wonderful show you got. Thank, well, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank I see we're just about out of time. We're going to start winding on up and getting ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written view and please fill it out for us. Hey, go just go to wherever you listen to podcasts, and there's generally some kind of a rating or ranking that you can give, and we appreciate a good ranking. That we do. Uh, that'll move us up. And you know what happens is that people go in and just type in a generic term like automotive podcast, and it's going to bring up all that 
uh-huh. it finds the ones with the higher rankings are going to come up first or near the top. They're near the top on the and first page. like most people, they're going to go down that list and they're going to choose one or two or three of the top. They're not going to go down to the 60th page and sure. find one. So that's why rankings are so important to us because it does move us up. Not only that, but we like to read them and it makes us know that we're doing a good job. Gives us uh, energy to do another show. <laughs> that's right. It takes more and more energy every week. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding with opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.